Wednesday Live. I'm Graham Lynch. Welcome to the show. We've got a big episode this week. Uh, our main story is regarding Telstra Investor Day and the announcement of a three-year T25 program by CEO Andy Penn and his executive team. We'll hear from the man himself, plus Simon Ducks, our chief editor, will go in-depth on Telstra's plans for Infraco, consumer, small business and enterprise. We're also going to have a sponsored interview with CSG's Senior Vice President, Head of Asia-Pacific, Ian Watterson, all about strategies to improve customer experience in the telco. But first up, RTI cables. Now, you might know RTI from um, the cable that lands in the Sunshine Coast. That's right, the JGA cable that goes to Guam and on to Japan. Um, RTI cables this week announced a new cable that connects Guam onto Oregon, providing expanded onwards connectivity from that Japan-Australia cable, and also the planned IBC cable that will connect Guam to Singapore through Indonesian waters and potentially Darwin. Now, um, RTI told us this week that this is the first phase of what I would regard as an ambitious four-phase plan to deploy capacity uh, in the domestic US market, then across the Atlantic Ocean, and then down to Latin America. So I spoke with Russ Madalich. It was very late at night for him, I think one o'clock in the morning from California, to tell us all about why he's building a new cable from Guam to Oregon. I always look at cables as the, it's only one question, what problem are you trying to solve? And for us, the problem we're trying to solve is the lack of connectivity mm-hmm. uh, between Asia and the United States, yeah. right? So when you looked at all of the connectivity from, uh, you know, there's only three paths to get from 3 billion people to you know, the West Coast or East Coast of the U.S. Yeah. And that's where every internet search has to go and come back, right? Yeah, because yeah. it has to do some DAP connection, right? So it either goes, it used to go, you know, Hong Kong to the U.S., but now it either goes Hong Kong to Japan to the U.S. and then back. Or Singapore down through IG or through Indigo and then uh, SX Southern Cross uh, and then back, or CMUE, right? Now the CMUE cables are all, you know, it's a bit of a shakedown, right? Going through Egypt. So the way I see it, you know, everything, the vast majority of 3 billion people are going through Japan or Australia. Yeah. And the way I like to joke, you know, I just say, well, I wish somebody would have built a cable between Japan and and Australia, yeah, of course. Oh yeah, we did. Yeah. But you know, we're not. We're never trying to be number one in the tier one markets. We're only trying to be number one in the number two markets. So, so again, just the lack of connectivity in over this next decade, we see an opportunity to to fill that gap. And yeah. Guam to the U.S. is a really big missing link because I have 36 terabits on JGA North and South, but I I only have 10 terabits on uh, Guam to the U.S. Yeah, so I've got to I got to fill that. Today, we're speaking in a sponsored interview with the Senior Vice President and Head of Asia Pacific, Ian Watterson, all about customer experience. It's a concept that gets talked about quite a lot, but we have to actually live it to make it work. Telcos need to boldly position themselves to thrive. They need to retain customers, grow their business offerings, deliver seamlessly interactive experiences and hyper-personalized offers. Customer experience is more than customer service. Customer experience is about being proactive 
whereas customer service is reactive. And whilst digital transformation is something everyone is talking about, it does appear the telco industry has its challenges with legacy systems, siloed approaches, and simply different ways of doing things. Welcome to the show, Ian. Thanks so much, Graham. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Well, let's kick, kick off with the first question. What strategies are CSPs deploying to provide personal, frictionless, conversational customer experiences? Yeah, yeah, great, great question, and it's a it's a very topical area. And in, and in fact, we've uh, we've seen a lot of surveys showing that customer experience during COVID in the last two years has been co- become more important to CSPs um, than any other issue interacting with your customers. So, isn't that interesting? So, we at CSG we we view it in three pillars. There's three key pillars to the, achieving better business outcomes through customer experience. The first one is personalization. So personalizing the engagement and treatment of your customer and what we call interaction tailoring. Um, secondly, proactive engagement and interaction, and that's through automation of systems and self-service. And then lastly, adopting an omni-channel approach to that engagement. So in, in, in summary, that's the right message in the right channel at the right time. And, and, and really, a, a good way to think about those is is firstly that personalization is the customer saying, know me. The second one, that proactive engagement is saying, anticipate me and put me in control of my interaction. And the last one is is adopting that omni-channel approach. And that's basically connect with me where I am in my journey um, of customer experience with you. And um, those those three pillars of, of customer experience and, and customer engagement are, are what underpin our strategy towards the subject for CSPs. Okay, understanding customer behavior and adapting the business to increase retention and launch new services is the focus for CSPs. It sounds easy, but with their legacy systems, how can CSPs really become a true data-driven business? Yeah, great, great question, Graham. And um, telcos, definitely share a lot of issues here with a lot of other industries that are trying to digitize their customer experience. And um, we've really recognized that at CSG and a a couple of uh, strategies that we, that we use with our, with our customers, first of all, is customer experience mapping. So what we do is we, we map that those customer journeys. We look at the, the customer channels that they engage. Um, we look at all the different departments and the mapping of that. And then we, we look at each each journey and where that customer is in that journey and, and do that do that orchestration layer. We, we're very fortunate. We recently acquired uh, one of the magic quadrant leaders in journey orchestration, um, a company called Kite Wheel that's now part of CSG. And that's a key platform that we use to map that those journeys and to, to manage that orchestration. And, and Kite Wheels, one of Kite Wheels' great benefits is they sit across both legacy uh, solutions and digital channels. So you're able to provide that end-to-end digital customer experience through through mapping a single journey. So to the customer, it's it's invisible as to whether you have those legacy assets or those digital assets deployed and that allows you a real advantage in um, in digitizing that customer experience. What are the revenue opportunities available to CSPs as they make the move from being reactive 
to more proactive? Yeah, yeah. No, again, another really good question. And that proactive customer experience is what really drives uh, loyalty and engagement. And and as a result, that those upsell and cross-sell opportunities for customers. So if you think about the beyond Netflix approach to customer experience, initially they were seen as the benchmark for customer experience, whereas now you look at a lot of the a lot of the telcos catching up, a lot of the CSPs um, able to gather that beyond Netflix approach, where they become that trusted advisor. You've seen uh, CSPs such as Telstra move into health. Um, you know what what more trusted experience could you need than your health? And you know that for me really uh, typifies that the trusted brand that our CSPs have in society and by being able to do that and take that trust across lots of different proactive customer engagements, um, I believe that'll, um, that'll really pay off in terms of those additional revenue opportunities. Outside of the technology, what other elements are critical for CSPs as they go on their customer experience journey? Yeah, absolutely. Apart from the technology, one of the, one of the key elements you know, we think about is, is people and culture and understanding your customers in, in that way and understanding where they are, as we were talking about earlier, um, communicating with your customers where they are through the channel they need. Um, that allows you to move from that traditional network approach and technology engineering mindset um, to focus on delivering the services and products that only, not only deliver you revenue growth, but also lead to greater customer satisfaction, net promoter score, scores and, and, and general perception of the industry. Um, we need to take a, a top-down approach to support that transition and, and that journey orchestration approach allows you to do that, allows you to um, meet those customers, provide uh, the new opportunities that you need to grow your business. Um, but also, uh, it makes our roles all more meaningful in the industry as, as we're able to provide a more holistic service um, with that, uh, that, that digital approach to customer experience. Cool. Thank you very much for joining us today and for the insights, Ian. Thank you, Graham. It's been a pleasure. Telstra. Telstra had a big investor day this week where CEO Andy Penn announced what comes after T22. It's called T25 and it replaces the focus on cost cutting associated with T22 with more of an emphasis on driving top line growth. It invests a lot of faith in mobile in the short term, but it also describes the strategy for turning around fixed and enterprise further out. But let's hear it described by the man himself, Andy Penn. Like T22, T25 is built around four key strategic pillars. Firstly, to provide an exceptional customer experience you can count on. If T22 in the last several years has taught us anything, particularly as we have navigated the migration to the NBN and responded to the consequences of COVID, it is that providing a better customer experience is our number one objective. Nothing is more important than continuing to improve customer experience, and this sits at the very heart of our T25 strategy, leveraging the capabilities that we have built. 
The second pillar is to provide the leading network and technology solutions that deliver your future. Telstra has always been at the forefront of telecommunications technology, not just in Australia, but globally. And never more has this been more important than today in a world of rapid digital adoption. As new technologies continue to evolve, including 5G and eventually 6G, satellite and cloud, edge compute, the traditional worlds of telecommunications and compute technology are blurring. And this is creating exciting opportunities and solutions that we will continue to lead in bringing to customers and of course, and as always, bringing them to customers on Australia's best and biggest network. The third pillar is to create sustained growth and value for our shareholders. As we move forward from the period of the transition to the NBN and out from underneath that economic headwind, the significant interventions that we have made in turning our business around and taking cost out are now starting to flow through to our bottom line. This will enable us to increase underlying EBITDA, ROIC and earnings per share. And with strong cash flow generation and opportunities ahead to monetize assets, we will focus on maximizing our frank dividend and seeking to grow it over time, investing for growth and returning excess cash flow to shareholders. The fourth and final pillar is to be the place you want to work. Competing for the best talent in the future is going to rely on more than just the basics. In the new post-COVID world, we need to excel at flexible and hybrid ways of working. We need to accelerate our digital leadership and we need to be a leader in doing business responsibly. So these are the four pillars that set the direction for Telstra under our T25 strategy. It is a strategy created to deliver the things that we know will sharpen our competitive edge because they respond to the trends that are shaping our market and the evolving needs of our customers. It is a strategy focused firmly on taking customer experience to a whole new level, and it is a strategy that is focused on growth. And ultimately, it is a strategy to leverage the capabilities that we have built under T22. And in the same way that T22 would not have been possible without the foundational investments we announced in 2016, T25 would not have been possible without all we have accomplished in T22. Now, as I mentioned, mobile is a big part of Telstra's immediate growth plans. Andy Penn described what's in store for both mobile and the Telstra network more generally under T25. Under T25, we will continue to invest in our network leadership in 5G with 95% population coverage and 80% of all mobile network traffic being on 5G by FY25. We also plan to double the number of metro sites, leveraging small cell technologies to further densify and add capacity to the network. And we will add at least another 100,000 square kilometers of mobile coverage to our national footprint to support regional and remote customers. By FY24, we will have extended our 4G coverage to 100% of our network footprint, enabling us to continue to lead in composite coverage, speed and performance for 4G and 5G as we move to close 3G. And this will of course set us up well for the early planning on 6G, which will clearly be on the agenda for discussion by the end of our T25 program. We will also continue to lead and differentiate in fixed. Now the NBN may be fully rolled out, however, not all BN 
not all NBN fixed services are the same. How we connect and how we assure customers will be differentiated and their in-home experience will be significantly enhanced as we leverage capabilities such as the Telstra Smart Modem, Telstra TV, our Wi-Fi Doctor, and other capabilities we have in the pipeline to improve the experience in the home. We will also leverage these for our energy customers and with smart meters, we will be providing a holistic in-home solution. Increasingly, however, it's not just the physical network where we can differentiate. Historically, the key aspects of functionality in telecommunications networks have been relatively static, but with software, we can increasingly dynamically manage this. Automation and artificial intelligence also enables us to deploy predictive and self-managing functionality to the network orchestration layer and increasingly manage the network in a way that becomes agnostic to the technology access type. Now, I know there's a lot of tech speak in all of this, but these are incredibly important capabilities and we have been investing in and building them. To net it out though, what it means at a practical level is we will increasingly be able to dynamically manage the key aspects of network experience, which are capacity, speed and latency, security, and resiliency. And now we're joined by Chief Editor Simon Ducks, who helmed our coverage of Investor Day this week. Welcome, Simon. Hello there, Graham. Um, first of all, there was uh, a lot of detail around plans for Telstra Infraco, and particularly plans for their tower business, Amplitel, to become a full service provider. Tell us all about it. That's right, Graham. Uh, it was interesting. Uh, obviously, this was Brendan Riley's big chance to uh, talk about some of the key initiatives uh, happening across Infraco. And uh, one of the uh, things that was a little bit interesting was around active uh, and passive network uh, offering. Uh, so that's that's going to be a little bit of a change. Uh, and uh, if they a- actually offer both of those, that's going to provide neutral hosting uh, to uh, all of the industry, which is going to be quite a uh, move by Telstra. And uh, in the same period, they're also looking at uh, 250 new towers and 700 additional tenancies. And he has uh, already uh, talked on record about boosting up the tenancies per tower as well. It's one of the key things uh, that they want to do with uh, Amplitel. Uh, he also touched upon uh, a little bit around uh, the fixed uh, Infoco and uh, pointing out the fact that it's actually quite a complicated deal. It's six times the size of uh, the Towerco business. So uh, you can imagine that to build all of the uh, necessary uh platforms and processes to actually even be able to look at monetizing that or potentially uh, separating any of that. It's quite complicated. And I got the impression from the way he was talking, we're probably looking at uh, talking almost in uh, years rather than months uh, uh, for that uh, to work its way through, essentially. And uh, Brendan also gave some interesting uh, stuff about some of the work they've been doing on the uh, current platform uh, within um, uh, Amplitel, and uh, that included uh, the a new uh, asset-based management, which uh, they can now uh, see asset inventory across 8,000 sites. He mentioned that uh, they are getting into digital uh, twinning the network, which is essentially building a uh, virtual model uh, complete uh, of uh, the actual physical network, which allows for planning. Uh, you know, people can actually be looking at 
uh, sites and uh, making decisions on what they're going to do there. And uh, he's, they're aiming to have 90% of mobile structures in digital twins by FY25, and they've already done a 1,000 so far. And uh, looking at uh, the investment, they're looking at $600 million of capital for new infrastructure to the end of FY25, and he said that 60% of that is going to be planned fibre growth, which they were talking about uh, rolling out a new 6,000 kilometres of new fibre through to FY25 as well. He gave a little bit uh, of flavour about their dark fibre experience and their data centre, two new services uh, that Infraco has been doing, and the fact that they had to build the service wrap uh, from scratch pretty much. But uh, on dark fibre, uh, they've got 100 NAC. 190 active services for 22 customers and uh, includes eight first-time Infraco customers as well. So I think they're going to be pretty happy with that. Okay. And in the consumer and small business area, it seems that their affinity program, Telstra Plus, is going to play a very big role in their future. That's right. It's uh Going uh, at the, currently sitting at 3.5 membership, and they almost want to double that uh, by 2025, uh, looking at 6 million members. And uh, Michael Ackland, uh, who uh, runs uh, Consumer and SMB, was suggesting that uh, the typical users of the uh, loyalty program are more loyal uh, in terms of they uh, tend to have a net promoter score that's a lot higher and uh, they've already used uh, 1 million rewards points as well that have been redeemed. So it's going to be quite interesting because uh, one of the things that he mentioned was that they're going to actually try and move it out into the the small business market as well. They've got a trial up and running now to see how that's going to play out and potentially what sort of uh, rewards that could be done in uh, that particular market. And then they're also going to be looking at chasing a whole bunch of new partners as well. And as far as uh, uh, Michael Ackland is concerned, he wants to make it one of the most valuable rewards programs in the country. He also touched upon uh, what they're looking at on their mobile side, which mobile services uh, is going to be a key milestone for growth in consumer and small business as well. Now, if you look, uh, their ARPUs have stabilised because uh, one of the key things they did was uh, put their uh, 5G offers in their top-tier um, plans, and so that's effectively helped with the migration of people towards those uh, higher plans and is working quite well. And uh, he said that they're expecting to have 80% of mobile traffic on their 5G network by 2025, which is uh, quite an interesting uh, statistic as well. They also want to actually grow uh, fixed wireless some more, Uh, We didn't have too much detail uh, with that uh, at this stage, but uh, we know they've moved from invitation only into a wider offer now. And uh, they're going to scale up their energy retailing business as well. And uh, one of the other things he was pointing out was uh, around uh, in-home services. Now, uh, this could be along the lines of uh, full-service tech retail, which is hardware repair, support, trade-in as well. So, you know, it could be trying to have Telstra as this partner to help you through the technology maze in the home uh, as more and more devices appear and uh, some of these uh, things, particularly around IoT-based smart meters and so on, just become more integrated in the home as well. So uh, one other thing he mentioned, uh, which I should highlight, was that 
he gave the uh, impression that they're looking at nuancing some of their future plans to be a little bit more experiential, which may be special tiers for optimized work from home or gaming or streaming or prioritization. So that could be quite interesting, uh, particularly as uh, obviously with T22, they have uh, rationalized a lot of their services right down to um, a a very small number, just for simplicity, uh, essentially. So uh, it would be fascinating to see how that one turns out. And, of course, he touched upon the success of Smart Modem and Telstra TV. On the small business front... He was uh, suggesting that they're looking at at least 50% of SMB customers to be fully digitally active by 2025. So you can see that they're going to try and push a lot of that, and that's going to be selling more ICT and digital services through its Go Digital professional consult process. Okay. Okay. Um, now moving on to Telstra Enterprise, uh, they've obviously been struggling the last couple of years with the rise of NBN, particularly in the fiber space. Um, but they, they have a plan for, for a turnaround, and David Burns explained it all at the Investor Day. That's right, Graham. And uh, it, it was interesting. He did single out our MBN's uh, push and focus in the market and the fact that it was uh, causing a lot of new entrants. And we've already seen that with uh, the take-up of some of the Tier 2 uh, telcos that are absolutely going gangbusters with um, Enterprise Ethernet, uh, which is good for the uh, market as a whole, but obviously hits uh, Telstra's uh, business as well. So, yes, he he mentioned that the way that they're going to look at trying to uh, fight back on this was uh, two things, really. Uh, One was uh, along the adaptive networks and adaptive mobility services that they're rolling out. And this is sort of uh, embracing... Uh, the shift, the technology shift that we're seeing as well away from MPLS-based services towards SD-WAN services because, of course, um, those services uh, create less revenue. Uh, and so what you need to do is actually build higher-level services over the top of that. And that's where Telstra wants to use its professional consulting arm, uh, Telstra Purple, as a key element to actually bring some of this together and uh, help out uh, the corporates across uh, Australia and beyond uh, as well. Now, uh, David did say that um, Telstra Purple will be the biggest opportunity for growth and the biggest differentiator on how they stitch all of these services together. So I think uh, it's going to be quite interesting because on the pure professional services uh, side of things, normally the margins there are not as high as some of the more uh, network-centric services. So Telstra is going to have an interesting balancing act taking that through. Uh, But he he did single out uh, the fact that um, they're going to be in the NAS portfolio, which is their network application services business, which is their largest revenue contributor. They're going to be doing a lot more uh, managed security services. And uh, they also mentioned that they're going to be focusing and they build cross-functional teams on three key industry verticals. And um, the, uh, they're going to be government, so that's anything from local, state, federal, mining and energy, and then they had a combined one. Uh, so it was a, a bonus third, which actually uh, comprises uh, supply chain, logistics, retail, and agribusiness, because together he was suggesting that they those particular industry sectors have 
fairly similar needs, so they should be able to serve uh, those straight through there. And he did uh, talk about the fact that there's opportunities around private LTE and uh, building up on some of the more um, layered uh, data services as well. Okay. Excellent wrap-up there, Simon. And so thank you very much for that. Um, also no. worth noting that um, analysts have reacted really well to the T25 plan and, and the share price uh, got a bit of a boost as well. So it seems like uh, Telstra's plan has gone down very well. Definitely. I think uh, it, it was uh, very steady and I think all eyes are now on the November analyst uh, day where they will dive a little bit deeper into what they're doing on the network side plus uh, with the stuff they're doing with health and energy. So it'll be fascinating because these are all going to be – one will be impacting their costs and the other two obviously will be uh, revenue centres uh, for Telstra going forward. Okay, terrific. Thank you, Simon. Thanks again, Graham. And that's it for Comms Day Live this week. We'll see you next time. <laughs>